0: Don't you just love technical interviews with someone who just saw your resume like five minutes ago, asking you to write some code on a whiteboard? Probably code that has nothing to do with anything you've done before or anything you will do at the company. No? Well, neither does Nathan Ashbacher. So when he started to build the team at his company, he decided to do things differently. Support for test and code comes from Sauce Labs, the end-to-end solution provider that helps development teams build digital applications so they work exactly as they should on every browser, OS, and device every single time. They offer full stack and full software development lifecycle testing, including low-code, mobile app, mobile beta, API, error-reporting and monitoring, cross-browser, UI and visual, and automation. Learn more at Saucelabs.com. Sauce labs test continuously, test smarter, develop with confidence. Welcome to testing code. Welcome, Nathan, to the show, and this is their first time on Test & Code, so can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me here. Uh, So my name is Nathan Ashbacher. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Oxen. Uh, We build software for doing sort of continuous verification and validation of robotic systems, more or less, or I guess cyber-physical systems, so software that touches the real world. Uh, cyber
0: physical. That's a great word.
1: Yeah. Well, it's when we were raising money for the company, originally, nobody knew what that meant, (laughs) but fortunately in the last couple of years, it's become a much more, uh, common niche word, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it it is a cool word. I agree. It has all of the, the, the things that have real meanings, plus all of the nonsense that you want in a term used in tech. So. Okay.
0: (laughs) A little bit more specific. You're what sort of like, how about an example?
1: Yeah, so like a like a lunar rover or uh, you know wave power generation system or uh, an autonomous car or an, an autopilot drone, you know these kinds of things. So um, piles of embedded components talking to each other, trying to achieve some larger mission, um, and the things that they interact with, right? So sometimes that's like a command center that's trying to keep track of them all. So um, so a lot of folks who are dealing with testing are often dealing with testing, you know, like one program or um, or they're dealing with uh, you know, some integration between a handful of different services. And for us, it's more about uh, kind of a a broader, more general sense of a system. So, you know, interactions at a control panel, you know, as they go down and filter their way to how does that affect the control cycle on a robot that's doing sort of sensing and deciding and acting? And then what is the reaction that that causes on something that's in the the environment that may be instrumented somehow to take some kind of signal about the reactions of the robot in, in the space? Um, so the, the focus tends to be like primarily on the embedded space on the integration side, but the use cases tend to be more, um, you know, they, in the, they call them systems of systems is (laughs) kind of like the the terminology for them. Yeah.
0: That actually sounds, uh, like, like a ton of fun. Uh, Yeah,
1: it's great. I mean, when we, when, you know, if, uh, sometimes we'll, you know, depending on the the audience, we'll kind of talk about, uh in the software space, there's, you know, chaos engineering has become a kind of brand identity or, you know, like a name or a practice that has gotten popularized somewhat recently. Um, And so uh, I was a contributing author to the, uh, I think the most recent, possibly the most recent O'Reilly book by uh, Casey Rosenthal and Nora Jones, not the musician, the jelly (laughs) Um, co-founder. And my section was on cyber physical systems. Um, And it is super fun. Like when we, so I, when, we're starting to work with a lunar rover project right now, a team putting together a lunar rover that's supposed to drive around the south pole of the moon looking for water um, and kind of starting at system level testing. And then we'll kind of transition over time, I think, into the more uh, adversarial exploratory chaos engineering type things because they want to hmm. ble- bleed out risk before they launch it to the moon. Right. Um, and so they're being able to say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to try to get chaos engineering on the moon in 2023 is kind of a is a really cool thing to, to think about. Nerd me. 11 year old yeah. me is very excited. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, well you, so is a lot of the work in, um, uh, simu- simulated stuff or, or yeah. are you using physical stuff.
1: Both. Yeah. So, so the way that like we set up our stuff is that it's kind of a additive or kind of bolt on infrastructure to testing processes or automation that you may already have. So, if, you know, if you're, if you have a software and loop environment or a hardware and loop environment or a simulator and loop environment, then, um, really our platform is about the collecting event and signal data about what's going on so data from the test harness data from the simulator data from the system itself bringing that okay. stuff into a back end and then essentially evaluating over that so we're looking to answer the same kinds of questions you might ask in like model checking except for we're asking them over what we've observed rather than you know what you know than some formal specification um, okay. the uh, the part of the reason for the exploratory testing bits that we do have to do with trying to make that model more rich, right? So just just having an empirical model of what you the happy path and maybe a handful of sad paths that you saw is not that great of a model. If you're trying to sort of uh, f- more fully verify or validate the behavior of a complex system, you want to try to drive it into situations that are going to be abnormal or edge cases. And so we have a, a pile of infrastructure that you can kind of bolt onto simulation or to exposing parameter points that we can fiddle with, like stress points in a system. To change those parameters and try to get the system to do something interesting to enrich that model more.
0: Wow. That sounds cool. Um, uh, Casey used to be a Portland person as well. Did you know Casey when he was here?
1: I did. Yes. he. Uh, uh, I Well, I worked for him at one point. Um, he, he implicitly hired me at Basho. Uh, we both were Basho React guys at one point. Uh, okay. And so we worked together for a while uh, there and we've known each other ever since I, I was sitting next to him when he got his at a coffee shop during Portland, when he got his offer to go to Netflix. Um, you know, so yeah, we've known each other for a while.
0: And this is all fascinating. I really should have asked you on to talk about testing, uh, systems because that is, or systems of systems, but instead I want to start ta- and talk about a zoologist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was how, that's right. That's how we've originally, I guess you virtually met. Yeah. So, um, I had an interesting experience. So uh, Lauren uh, at who's at Netflix, actually, uh, posted uh, he had a tweet about, you know, something about uh, zookeeper incidents are rare, but they're, they're epic or legendary or something like that. And so and I had one. I was like, he's absolutely right, uh, but not in the way that he thought. <laughs> um, it's uh, true that when so many things critically depend on zookeeper that when it tips over, it tend, really bad things tend to happen. Uh, in my particular case, though, I was in a situation where I, I joined a team. Uh, that was starting to build out a lot of infrastructure for basically um, payments, like transaction processing stuff. And uh, we were trying to scale the team pretty quickly. And so, you know, you get a lot of resumes come through. You end up getting kind of signed up for interviews that you, you know, you uh, you you didn't necessarily, you know, know, don't know much about before you sit down in the room and start, you know, talking to folks. <laughs> okay. um, just sort of typical tech hiring practice, right? Like throw an engineer in a room with another person who's unsuspecting and see what happens. Uh, and so, you know, we sit down and the CV is in front of me and, uh, I'm just looking at it and going over it. And I'm scanning it and I'm scanning it and there's nothing on it, literally nothing on it about anything to do with software development or it infrastructure or any of this. And I was like looking at the person sitting across the table from me <laughs> and I going, what, what is, what is this about? I see a lot of experience. Like it seems like you've, you've worked with, you know, at zoos, you've been like an animal caretaker. <laughs> what is happening? And they just looked at me like, I I don't know, but you, you called me in here. Right. (laughs) Uh, And, and finally I started, I like things started to piece together and I went, Oh, I know what happened. And they went, yeah. And I go, there's a technology called zookeeper. That's on the rec for this, where we say like experience with zookeeper a plus. I gather you're an actual zookeeper. (laughs) And they went, Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And then, of course, I'm like, my brain's catching up with myself, right? And I, you know, as we're sitting there kind of talking, it's fascinating. Like, I didn't know nothing about zookeeping. So I asked a lot of questions about that. And I was really you know, curious, and interested. Um, but I just like, after a little while went like, well, you know, I, I understand kind of what happened. I get it, right? It's like, you know, recruiting tends to look for keywords, and they reach out to folks. And, you know, depending on how fast yeah. hiring has to happen, there's, you know, only so much kind of diligence that can be done. Um And usually the diligence is both sides. You know, one side goes, that's like, I get a bunch of, you know, here's a fantastic JavaScript job for you. And it's like, I'm CEO of a company now. I can't do that. And so it's like, there's the <laughs> diligence on the other side going, you know this isn't for me no thank you right and so (laughs) i I went well why do this why are we sitting here like surely this made sense to you uh you know that this wasn't that this all the rest of it was about software um and they went yeah but i don't know it's silicon valley like you people spend all kinds of crazy money on things that make no sense i didn't know maybe it was some kind of you know petting zoo feature and i went oh okay that's i mean that makes complete sense if you've recently watched the show like that makes complete sense um and so the best part i mean like
0: I've heard of, uh, like, uh, I've heard of Google and Microsoft hiring, like, poets and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I I was the first interview of the day, (laughs) so uh, they decided, like, not to go on and do the rest of them, because, like, and I think, or, you know, it's possibly just kind of when i when i notified i was like hey this doesn't make any sense they went oh we should just stop this yeah um, but uh i really wanted to hire the person i think like I think Casey might have followed up on twitter and he was like yeah uh he, the funny thing is she really wanted to hire him i was like yep that's true i really <laughs> wanted to find a reason <laughs> so if people
0: have not actually used zookeeper zookeeper see zookeeper is an apache thing but i've not used it what does it do
1: uh it's like consensus as a service basically so you know you you it's a uh, it's been a long time since i had to deploy it for anything either but back in the day it was a largely a key value store that gave you distributed essentially consensus consistency for key value things you wanted to store so it gets used for like uh like service discovery and you know configuration you know template management things that where you need to keep a global sense of something you know for all the rest of your infrastructure to pull on Yeah. yeah
0: Yeah. And then uh okay, so this is so I reached out just cuz I really wanted to hear the story just from you and this is hilarious. <laughs> um, but then you said uh, that you have uh um you have you hire now cuz you're you have a company. Yeah. Um so um how well how big is your company?
1: Yeah, it's not that big. We're still under 10. Um okay. we, we have a, um, a couple of reasons. Like one is we're still fairly early stage. Um there's it's a long road for for companies like us because the kind of the, the OT rather than IT space, the operational technology space just tends to move a little slower. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of big logos, you know, there's like the Lockheeds and the, you know, Volvos and companies like this, and they tend to move at certain speeds. Um, yeah. So, but even
0: those, the projects are long, longer scale. They're lar- longer. Yeah.
1: They're larger scale, longer scale. But for us, that means like we have to stay lean longer, you know, like yeah. that's kind of the thing in terms of like scaling out the company. But the other part of it too, is that just as a thesis, my co-founder and I, um, you know, tend not to buy into the hyper growth model of, uh, we've seen it fail so many times you know even companies we've worked with that, we, that were you know that got started where we first met teams there and they had 10 people and then a year later they had 200 and oh, and then yeah. and every single time every single time we talked to like the svp and go how's it going they're like it's a disaster <laughs> like we can't we can't onboard people effectively you know it's just it's because you and you can't like you can't bring people into a culture that fast you know um think people people who are getting paid to do you know good expensive work feel eventually an obligation to start doing something and so you know they don't want to sit there and do nothing and so then you end up dealing with like well a lack of sort of coordination and orchestration on the one side yeah. bringing them in plus a, a very you know good like sort of work ethic impulse to be producing something then creates a different set of challenges which is like what do we do with all the stuff we didn't need to have happen that now exists that we you know and so it's just an alignment nightmare so we're saying like lean on purpose um, yeah. for, yeah, for that part, you know, for that reason.
0: Uh, just a, a short pause to shout out to everybody out there. If you want to hire a really excellent developer, but you don't want me to do anything, I'm totally reach out.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, I some companies that I can introduce you to. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so the, see, but you, you said you have an unorth- unorthodox or a different way to onboard and hire people. So what, well, yeah, let's, let's dig into that. I so mean, how, so, how do you so, bring people on?
1: So part of this is, um, motivated by, I've been on all sides of this for a long time. I, 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 I like to say I don't look it, but I'm pretty old. I'm in my forties now. Um, I think it's mostly just my generally immature attitude that uh, creates the perception of plausible youth. Um, but. Um <laughs> But you know, I've been on the end of it where I came out into tech, like into the dot-com bubble busting, you know, so I, I left college. Nobody was hiring. There were no, the year before, there were all kinds of signing bonuses. Every, every, every uh, parking lot, every student parking lot at Gonzaga University, it pre-2002 had a new Land Rover in it that like some student in the engineering school had bought because they had gotten their signing bonus and they were going to go, they used that as a down payment for a car they didn't need, right? And yeah. so by the, by the time I got to my senior year, the market had turned and there was no recruiting happening. I was in Spokane, Washington. Um, you know, it was like five or six months until my first interview even. And by the time I got there, like I was getting you know, interviews. Um, I was up against folks who, you know, who had been at Intel for 20 years, who had you know, lost jobs, had kids, had mortgages, you know. And so I saw kind of like that end of it, whereas like the lean times and how, you know, the the sending out thousands literally resumes a resume. monstercom was the only game in town back then for that kind of thing mm. just sending out these resumes no response just miserable you know yeah, saddening yeah. experience right to and then you know now it's the like the happy times like the job market I'm told is like just incredibly crazy out there um, I wouldn't know because I made the mistake of starting a company uh, so <laughs> um, but you know the there's still this kind of uh, a, a trend that has persisted and I don't really know exactly where it came from but I can't I kind of like identify its origin, but a lot of folks talk about the tech interview. There are books about it, like you know, acing the tech interview, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's always seemed really insane to me that, especially as like engineers of systems that we're so colossally sort of backwards on this sort of thing. Um, because we see a lot of people kind of mimicking the hiring practices or the, the kind of doing the cargo culting and like, well, what does Google do? And you go like, well, yeah, but you're an early stage four person company. Like you have different criteria and different needs and different ambitions and goals in your hiring than Google has. Also Google has many money printing machines. So, right. Like they, they can't even tell if they're doing a bad job at certain things. Right. And so, (laughs) um, you know, there's like the feedback signals are so much worse and so different. Right. Yeah, but yet, but
0: even so, I just want to interrupt you for a second. Even large companies, I work at a relatively large company, but often our um, the hiring is is a local thing. We only have a handful of people dealing with the hiring stuff. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, like even large companies have um, small. It, it's more like a startup. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: yeah, and so like and so then you see these sort of these kind of practices. It's kind of like a uh, what's that? Uh, there's that that Ned Flanders meme. Um, It's something like uh, uh, we've we're all out of ideas and we've tried nothing, right, or whatever it is, right. (laughs) Um, And uh, and I kind of like have felt that way when I'd go through, you know, like in a mid around 2010, 2011, like 2012 era, I was out there, you know, being doing more interviews on the being hired side, like trying to find a job kind of thing, and going through these really bizarre interview processes where clearly the person who was doing it didn't want to be there. Um, they didn't, oh, yeah. they weren't prepped or primed to like do this. Um, it's weirdly stilted and adversarial, right. In a way that just kind of dehumanizes the entire process. And, yeah. and yeah. often you get asked things that there's this patina of objectivity. Well, we ask everybody the same questions and you go like, yeah, but that's not, you're not, that doesn't tell, that's, that's a faux objectivity that you're getting out of that. Um, it's not necessarily a great signal of you know, having somebody stand there at a whiteboard and try to derive in real time something that took three PhDs, 20 years to come up with that you just, (laughs) you just happened to know about because of this interview. Right. Um, You know, and so it's that kind of thing. And so as I kind of like transitioned through my career and kind of got into these positions of, you know, being able to influence hiring processes and then of course now ultimately like deciding what the hiring process is uh, I try to focus it much more on, on maximizing what I believe to be like the, real signals that you're looking for, right? That there are certain signals that these, um, these kind of tech, traditional kind of tech hiring or interview processes look for, which are supposed to try to filter like, can the person write a basic program, you know, these kinds of things. But if you can't figure out if a person can write a basic program before they show up to have an interview, then like you then the process is broken someplace else. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, and there are a lot of ways to get to that answer, right. That don't require, um, Sort of hazing a person in real time, you know, like in a in a weird office with a person who doesn't want to be doing the hazing and a person who doesn't want to be receiving the hazing. Um,
0: So let's just pause there. Um, What are some of the approaches you do? Do you have them do take home assignments? No,
1: that seems like a like also a little bit unfair. And so what we do is I I I always say the way I kind of phrase it is um, if the if the goal is to try to figure out if this person can do the work with your team. And you're trying to build a team that you're adding this person to, right? It's a two-way yeah. street. Like they need to understand what it's like to what it, they're going to be working on and yeah. what their team is going to be like, right? And the other end needs to understand what this person is like and if they feel like they're going to be additive to this team. And so, um, and so instead of conducting or constructing some kind of weird artifice as a, a workplace simulator, I just go like, let's just bring the workplace to them. And so instead, you know, we'll do like a, Basically, I do, uh, you know, screening resumes, CVs, just looking for uh, some characteristics that I tend to find for the kind of weird corners of problems that we work on. Um, you know, people who who have tended to be, who have picked something strange to align themselves to, so they're a little bit out. Like if they are like a closure expert, or they're like you know I an old Erlang developer, and so there's a certain amount of um, pre-screening that I look for there. Like, like, well, this person had some motivation to take on something that nobody told them they should do. <laughs> like, there's n- Absolutely nobody told them they should do this. Their only incentive was like internal motivation. They thought this was interesting, oh, interesting and they wanted to like, you know, pursue it and kind of become an expert at a weird thing. Right. And so I'll do like a little bit of screening for stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, cause there's a lot of kind of self-determination and kind of agency that I look for in people that if, you know, they run into a problem, they don't stop and just roll over. Right. Um, they kind of dig at it. They pull on people to help them, like that kind of thing. Um, and then just do a basic you know, sort of phone screening where we talk and it's really informal. You know, I just, I set it up that way too. I go like, look, I just want to have a conversation where it's two humans trying to figure out if any of this makes any sense. Um, yeah. And then the next step after that is just set them up into like, you know, a couple maybe two, three hours, uh, if possible, of direct pairing on a real thing that somebody on the team is doing. So whatever thing they're doing that day, It could be design, you know, review, it could be, you know, digging around in some bug that's, you know, creating a problem, Uh, whatever it is, even if it's creating some strife internally, it's try to create a real experience, you know, for the for this person to go like, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen here. And you're going to see this engineer when they encounter this kind of problem, handle it this way, you know, (laughs) and so. To try to just make it be a real workplace, you know, kind of scenario and to then, you know, then have a debriefing with both sides kind of afterwards where, you know, talk to the candidate and go like, well, you know, what was that like? And, you know, what challenges did you run into and which parts of it did you, you know, feel were, you know, a struggle in terms of what it was like to interact with the other person? You know, where did you feel like, you know, you left something on the table that you wish you had, you know, been able to communicate or convey that you don't feel like was effectively evaluated, you know, in that way? Um, so that they feel like they have an opportunity to kind of essentially follow up on, you know, like uh, how they were, how they're viewed, or what the perception is. Right, give them a, um, uh, you know, a, a sort of um, second impression opportunity, right? Um, yeah. And then this, and then do the same thing on the on the internal team side. You go, okay, like what was this like? You know, like what what kinds of things did you do? You know, so I have a sense of kind of what you worked on, so I can follow up with some additional questions, um, and then and really just try to make it be more about finding good alignment to like build a, you know, a high functioning, highly effective team and not about, you know, do they know some esoteria that they, that they bought a book to tell them what the answer was and they got it more right than the person before.
0: Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. I really like this, this idea of a, uh, kind of a, an opportunity after the like right after, I assume it's the same day you're talking with both. It depends, both but it's,
1: sometimes it's like a couple of days, but yeah, it's, it's soon after. Okay. Yeah.
0: Soon after to be able to say, and actually it might even be better like the, the next day or a couple of days. So somebody could think about yeah, it.
1: Yeah. Some times to simmer and um, think about it.
0: Yeah. Um, to say to, like, how, how was that experience? Is there something you, you left on the table or I like that part. I remember an interview I had where, um, uh, part of the interview was I was supposed to like, uh, just, discuss something complicated or something uh-huh. like that. And, um, and I was, I mean, I, most of my career I've been in uh, embedded systems, but they're not, they're not like tiny embedded systems yeah. They're These are, uh, these are test test equipment and it's usually Um, there's, uh, you know, half a dozen to a dozen different processors in Mm -hmm. there speaking different languages, different operating systems. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's like, it's like an entire internet in a box uh, with things coordinating at different clock speeds and all sorts of chaos going on inside. Um, and, uh, coordinating all of that with APIs and different things is a, is a, there is a complex system. It's also a system where like, uh, you, um, you don't, you don't, uh, you can't Know the whole thing. You yeah. d- you depend on large <clears throat> teams to understand diff- different pieces. Yep. And I was describing a lot of that stuff, and I could tell the person the the, the interviewer uh, w- had completely checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, they had they had decided that embedded was simple and uh, right. <laughs> and and and, um, and they weren't listening. And it was a frustrating experience. And I never got an opportunity to talk to the hiring manager or somebody else to say. That sucked. That that part of having somebody that just wasn't interested in what I had to say, yeah, didn't feel good. Yeah, I Um, mean,
1: that's it's really unfortunate too because I feel like you know what has happened. Obviously, not everywhere, you know, but in a lot of cases, this push to try to hire a lot of people really fast, you know, to fill seats or spend investor money or whatever it is you're supposed to be doing, right? Scale, 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 scale. Um, It turns the process into a meat grinder, which is not what you. What you want right like that that's the way that you do like um you know canvassing for consumer goods you go like hey (laughs) we got i got some new like widget and i want to spam the universe with you know as much as i possibly can but when you're when you're trying to build a team like you're not going to have you're never going to have a hundred million you know team members that you filter through right and so it's you it's supposed the idea is to have you know you want to have as little churn as possible and you want it to be as you know high outputting and effective as possible and so it's much more like um, the kind of thing you would do in enterprise sales where you're doing like like very precise targeting. And you're like, look, we're, I'm looking for this. This is the way we qualify this customer. What kinds of criteria do they have? And there's a lot of forethought that has to go into it, right? But in the absence of forethought, we replace it with machinery and scale, right?
0: Yeah. And I, it's interesting, the, the, the comparison to like an it, uh, enterprise sales or something, because like that's... Uh, We have, I mean, in, in test equipment, we've got, um, we've got consumer level stuff like, um, or uh, commodities, commodity systems, like small spec ends and scopes and stuff like that. And those are often sold through third parties of just people want to scope. So they'll go get a scope based on specs. Yeah. Um, And then larger systems. These are definitely like, like a description that you, you brought up where we, we, both the customer and the supplier have to discuss whether or not this is a good fit before they just try it. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to happen. So yeah. Uh, yeah. it's an interesting comparison.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I,
0: how, how about onboarding when you bring somebody on, do you think uh, you try to treat that different? Do you do mentoring for instance, or do you-
1: the team is so small that we all end up being, you know, kind of um, it's a, very, everybody works really closely together. Um, and so there's a lot of constant communication um, in terms of onboarding, like I can say as an early stage company, especially in the pandemic, like we're not great at this, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and a lot of it is like, uh, you know, pre pandemic, there was an opportunity and where people kind of were, you know, congregating or ag- aggregating, you get to do a lot of the, the soft onboarding, like the, the kinds of stuff that you, that, you know, when you're doing, you know, enterprise business development, where you're like, we out to lunches and, you know, you get to know each other and that kind of stuff. And that's so much harder. In this yeah. environment right like we've hired a couple of people like our vp of business development and another engineer during the during the pandemic somewhat recently and and getting them integrated and getting them feel to feel comfortable like i don't think i've succeeded at it frankly like just speaking as an indictment of myself as ceo <laughs> um but but it's something i'm you know aware of and trying to find ways to you know to improve it and of course like when you know restrictions start to wane and stuff we'll try to do some offsite kind of things but um but the you know Probably we could provide more structure to the onboarding process, Um, but there's also a kind of um, just get people into the thick of it immediately, you know, kind of thing where they just are uh, to try to remove the barriers of stilted team integration, you know, where they're like, they feel like an outsider, you know, like as quickly as possible and be like, look, this person's in the trenches with us and, you know, we're going to be brainstorming and working on problems and like, and to try to give them a voice that's at, Parity with anybody else who's already been on the team. Right. And so that's uh, that's kind of the approach, but in terms of the swag and like the onboarding and, and, and whoops, we forgot to provision a YubiKey, you know, like kind of thing, Like I got to, I got to fix those problems.
0: Um, I remember my first, uh, my first job at, at a college that was, uh, it was at HP and I totally felt lost because I was, uh, um, uh, I, there was a lot of mentoring and stuff, but I, I felt like had a t- total imposter syndrome because I was pure computer science mm-hmm. and I was getting hired. And most of the people there uh, learned programming on the job and they mm-hmm. were like, you know, physicists and stuff like that, and electrical engineers. And uh, the one of the guys that had been there for like ever, I think that you know, 40 years or something like that was talking to me and asking me questions in a meeting as if I had been there as long as he had. Yeah, And, and I went and talked to him later and I said, like, that's super cool. Um, Are you consciously doing that? Or, and he said, well, everybody that works here has been here less than me. And, <laughs> and, um, and also we hired you because you got skills and I don't know what they are. So I got to ask you. So, Sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that, uh, treating somebody as an equal from the start is a, is incredibly powerful. I think it goes longer, further than people realize. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure my like, you know, I tend to be fairly self-deprecating and, and don't take myself very seriously. Um, which maybe helps. Like I, I, I imagine it can be like a little bit, dis, you know, or it can be usefully disarming, I think in a lot of cases. Right. Yeah. Um, uh I don't really know where that comes from. I, I I I maybe like being raised Catholic and so feeling like everything's my fault all the time. Um but um but also like I I don't I, I really I have struggled even the thing that we're doing now, like it seems fairly novel, you know, like the kind of stuff that we're doing. Um taking that we kind of try to take the best of like property-based testing and the best of model checking and like the value that they're trying to provide to the to the development and kind of understanding of 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 systems and systems engineering. Um, yeah. and then trying to to take them out of the realm of academia and turn them into something that could be productionized and productized and we and we don't find a lot of competitors to this but by this by you know the same token i I had it kind of drubbed out of me the idea that I would have a, a any kind of like novel or unique insight <laughs> when I thought I invented the jet engine when I was 11 and then and then saw a cutaway of one and went oh that's all the ideas that I thought I had invented decades before whoops um and so i kind of okay i'm never going to have an original idea and so so for me like what that means is there's like there's no sacred you know sort of um uh you know kind of like idea everything is like up for grabs to be able to go like okay let's indict this thing you know like and so having new voices around the table to perform an indictment of a thing that we all kind of get a group think about this is the way to go right is yeah. one of the one of the most valuable things in bringing new people on initially, right? Get actually right. leveraging that outsider perspective, because the, the, you're only going to get it for a minute until they're indoctrinated, and now they've become useless in that regard, right? And so, you know, being able to to leverage that, and you know, and I, I hope that what that does is it helps people feel comfortable and that they are able to have that voice because it's actually valued. Like I think it's the most important thing, you know, mm-hmm. to get out of somebody in the first you know month, month and a half that they're on board before they are. You know they're so in- embedded in it that it's hard for them to. They have the curse of knowledge at that point, right? And they don't know anymore like what it was like, you know, when they first yeah. joined. So
0: yeah, um, I am. I've still. I'm tripped up at, at 11. You independently uh, invented a jet engine. Uh, well, you I think you did.
1: My grandfather was a pilot, and there's pictures of him back there, um, above my Silicon Graphics workstation, um, and uh, and so I got really into like material science and aerodynamics at a really young age. I had all these books like, like because I just thought it was all fascinating. And so that's I remember, incredible. I remember having the idea. I was like, Oh, well, so this is how, you know, if, if if you, you know, if, if you're combusting, you know, you're combusting the fuel and mixing it with oxygen and that's creating like, you know, uh, some like amount of like pressure pushing out this way. What if you had a bunch of fl- fan blades that were kind of, increasing the amount of pressure at the same time as igniting different stages of this thing. And I had like this whole mental model for it. And then I told my grandfather about this. I was like, I this, look at what I thought of. And I had these awful, you know, children's, you know, there was like green marker pen, you know, on a piece of paper. Then he went, that's really neat. And then we got into his airplane and flew to the Air Space Museum in Seattle. Uh, and he showed me and there was a cutaway of s- such a thing. And it just had all the parts. They were obviously much better than my imaginary parts because um, somebody who knew what they were doing had tried really hard to do this very well. Um, but like the premise was in there and, and I just went, oh, OK, like this is that's it. I'm not going that, to anything.
0: That's incredible, though. I mean, at 11, I think I was attaching marbles and and Play-Doh to mousetraps to be able to, <laughs> to, to to drive bigger holes in the wall uh, from from a distance. Um, and you're doing stuff like this. It's incredible. Um, that's pretty cool. I, will, uh, I,
1: I, I refuse to take the compliment, but my mother will be very happy to hear that. I,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I was, and I, I think I had recently gone to a universal studios. So I thought I was going to be a stunt man and I was jumping off roofs and things like that yeah. and seeing if I could safely roll down the stairs until I got told to not do that anymore. Could you um, do it? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> but, um, but we did, uh, let's see. Did manage to figure out a way while we were doing something stupid uh figure out hard sided suitcases make a decent uh sled down stairs oh, yeah. yeah um but o- dangerous
1: o- open face or
0: oh well yeah you kind of the the top you kind of hold as a as a the top oh yeah of the sled. yeah so because you have to pull it up because if you don't pull it up the bottom hits a stair and you', you then you're beef done beef yeah yeah um but don't try this at home it's way too fast
1: no try but, it at work instead
0: <laughs> no we've got like cement stairs at work <laughs>
1: never mind never mind <laughs>
0: um but the uh uh want to come back to pair programming one of the yeah. things you said is you uh, spend two or three hours with a candidate um working on a problem or yeah. something like that is pair is pairing or group uh, coding part of your daily routine at the company, or is it something you kind of only do during an interview process?
1: No, it's, I, I mean, I have to ask the team, but I mean, I, I try to encourage it as much as possible. I mean, it's pretty uh, creating that, that sense of, um, I don't know, camaraderie and, and willingness to kind of pull on each other for, you know, when there's help needed or something, would um, yeah. just kind of, I think produces it largely organically. I mean, there's certainly times where folks go off and, you know, and kind of, they're kind of heads down working on a problem and then, and then kind of bring it back out when it's a far, you know, far enough along some path to go, or does this make sense? Right. Um, but you know, but you know, there's a, there's a whole dev channel in Slack that I'm not even in that I don't, It's just, just for the developers to have a place where like, there's not, you know, you know, the prying eyes of management, you know, to like, (laughs) to be able to like communicate and like pull on each other and, you know, you know, sit down and like, just pair all day long. I mean, there's been a couple of times where I I don't think they actually did this, um, because it would probably drive them insane. Um, But I was like, look, just pair all together, like, we'll just all a few of you just the whole day, just like be at least kind of like, as though you're in the same room, um, working through this problem, so that when you have like banter, and like, you know, chatty ideas, but they're, you know, not all, not all engineers want to be like, constantly on (laughs) so uh, yeah
0: you know one of the challenges that i would find i i find is um is i very much honor uh flex hours Mm. so in order for people to actually be pairing for eight hours a day they'd have to have the same schedule right yeah yeah but anyway um but anyway um the it's interesting. Have you had any feedback from uh, people that have come on to say, hey, interviewing with you was less freaky than other places?
1: And we had a guy that we, we ended up not being able to hire that I really wanted to hire, but because of just kind of um, like funding timing for us, um, we ended up getting a candidate in that. We were kind of going, OK, like what's going to happen here with some of the you know revenue stuff and, and some uh, government contract things? Not knowing quite if it was going to work out, but I was very upfront with him about it, too. And I said, hey, look, like I, I think you know, it, it seems like you'd be a great candidate. That's why we're even doing this. But, you know, I want to let you know that, you know, it's you showed up and I didn't really expect it per se. Um, and so at a time when this wasn't quite, we were trying to get ahead of this eight ball a little bit. Right. And so we didn't want to be kind of stuck with no options, you know, depending on how things worked out. Yeah. Um, and so it was just very upfront and very kind of direct and honest about it. Set up the premise. I, I really like your you know before the show like sort of thing that you write up i kind of i do it i don't have it it's not published on the website but like it's a similar thing where i, I kind of sent him i was like hey look here's what the process is going to look like um you know i'm trying to i want this to be fairly informal like here's what i'm like looking for you know try to be more clear about what you know what we we're kind of assessing and where i had like yeah. question marks right and um and kind of putting that all out ahead of time and even though we ended up not hiring them yet though you know i'm hopeful that as things you know progress they took a different opportunity because reasons and then you know and we're you know getting more financing all that stuff so someday i'd still like to hire them but they came back and said like you know even though this didn't work out and i actually wanted to work here more than the other places that i was looking at um this process was so much more uh sort of positive right than like it it created Mm -hmm. it was it became like a you know it was a peer like relationship right it was i was being fairly transparent with in the ways that i could you know around what we were facing letting them know, you know, just as a person who I respected as a professional, right. Um, yeah. You know, and to try to let them know, like, I have my own professional challenges. So, and here's what they are. And here's where they are creating conflict for our mutual goal here of you working here. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it pays off like that. I mean, I've got, that's not the first time either that's happened. That's just the most recent experience or, you know, that, that's occurred. Um, I, just, I mean, people, people like being treated like humans. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it sounds ridiculous to say that. But we create so many systems for reasons that are still unclear to me many times, you know, where we just dehuman, fully dehumanize these, you know, uh, professionals or otherwise. Right. And and right. so it, and it feels bad going and well, looking for a new job is a full time job that mostly feels bad.
0: It mostly feels <laughs> bad. And also it's a we have like we were talking about earlier, some of the traditional systems like the Googles or other people. And I don't even know if they hire like this anymore, but they at least the uh, they people think they do the, uh, the, the trick questions yeah. and white, whiteboard interviews and everything. Um, uh, there it's, it's difficult on both sides. It's difficult to find people to, to do the interviews. It's yeah. also uh, on both sides, the company and the the individual, but the, um, but also I, th- I've had, uh, coworkers that have been and team members that have been great engineers that run the gamut of different personalities. Yeah. And, um, and some of the best people I know are quiet, contemplative, just hardworking people. They get a, a hold of a problem and mm-hmm. they don't let go until it's finished. Those are those kind of people that have to think about something for a day before they really jump in. Yeah. They're not going to do great in the traditional interview. No. Um, yeah. so it's, it's, we have to be thinking about different ways to make the uh, interview process and the hiring process more humane. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's that's that's why i said like it's it's such a it's such a incredibly high noise so like low signal value approach to to doing what is probably the most critical function of you know, of building a team and creating a company right yeah. who is who's there doing it um, you know ideas are really cheap making them exist is where all the hard parts are. Um, yeah. and, and it is just such a bizarre, um, yeah. you know, kind of backwards kind of way that we, that we handle it. You know, the, um, one of the things that I hadn't really thought about it until you, until, until you relayed that was, you know, I wonder, you know, you might, you might say like, Oh, well, uh, somebody having to, you know, to pair with somebody they don't know is also going to be, um, potentially nerve wracking, which is true. I'm sure it's, you know, it's a person you don't know. Not everybody is, you know, as like sort of flippant and and uh, fake extroverted as I am. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so, you know, I'm sure that that can be a little bit nerve wracking, but what does happen though, especially with the, with, I guess it's like you start the ball rolling, right? Is that I trust my team, even though they're not all like me, there's, I mean, we're all a little bit curmudgeonly, but like, they're not, they're not all like me. Um, and, uh, and so, but they, but, in the, but they are fastidious and conscientious, right? And so if they see a person where they, they latch onto something and go, oh, well, they were getting it. Like they were asking the right questions, but they seem like they might be a little bit, um, apprehensive, right. Or they were a little bit kind of like, you know, socially distant, then like, that's fine. It becomes like a thing I can talk about or talk to the person about in the fall, just understand why, right. Then I mm-hmm. get to learn more about their working style and like, you know, what was uncomfortable, what was comfortable, right. But then, you know, if you if you start at the top with trying to be conscientious about the process, you will bring in conscientious people, and they will then help you cascade that. Like as you need to, you know, hire more people. But if your whole system is, you know, turning a meat grinder and you know bringing in people who don't want to be there to ask questions they don't want to ask to people who don't want to answer them, well, then you know it shouldn't be a surprise when it, it doesn't work out great when the culture is a bunch of disconnected, weird, you know, things that don't align very well.
0: Yeah. Um, I also like that uh, I've, I've found it I've been on different ty- types of hiring teams and when we tried to grow a team quickly once where we brought in lots of people from different different uh, groups to do the help with the hiring part, the interviewing part that's tough because the people interviewing the doing the holding the interview don't um, they don't really care who you hire So they're not really good at, I don't think they're really good at picking somebody if they don't have a stake in it.
1: Yeah. Um, I I agree with that a lot, actually. I mean, that was one of the things that I, and what's, what's that thing that they, they say like people, there's a lot of idioms, but there's a, or colloquialisms. I never can keep track of which one it is. (laughs) Um, The, you know, it's like the, the, the most satisfied employees are people who like have a boss that like, they think could do their job. So they feel like that, you know, there's somebody there that, understands what their work they're doing. Um, yeah. you know, and I feel like that that's, that is missing in a lot of cases from, you know, whether it's like structural in terms of process or just in terms of, um, kind of, yeah. I guess who gets promoted to run things and, you know, become hiring managers. Um, that when that, when that principal agent, you know, alignment breaks down, then, it, you know, it, it's kind it of, it seems like it can only exacerbate things. Um, cause the person yeah. doesn't You kind of have to have a system of like, of weird, what's that crazy? There's a, there's a thing that I refuse to use at a place that I work where they tried to make me use some ranking coder rank or some insane, Um, what's it called? Hacker rank. Is that what it's called? Hacker rank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, you want to distill down all these people to this ridiculous number? (laughs) Like this this seems really terrible. Um, no offense to the hacker rank people. I'm sure they've been very successful, but like (laughs) on the other side of it, I, I'm just like, I, I can't imagine like putting somebody through this. And then wanting to have them around you're punting responsibility, right? You're not, you're not taking ownership of like your role in what, what you, you know, if you're the hiring manager, you need to build a team. You got to understand what that team's doing. You understand how that team works together. You got to understand like their different personalities and what kinds of folks are good at what kinds of, you know, different kinds of things. You know, I think I'd say one of the the biggest challenges that like I run into, I imagine my co-founder probably agree with this is that like, I'll get in sometimes into a situation where I, I, I'm unwittingly leaning on sort of like the the weaknesses instead of the strengths of like different team members. Not because not I'm like trying to, or I'm, you know, trying to like, you know, make them feel bad, but I'm going like, I really need this like to happen. And this is the person who, you know, principally, if I, if it's, if I imagine like a spherical cow of a human, you know, like c- could do this, but the, but the type of work that it is, or what needs to be done is, is kind of, you know, say I like get some design work or something like that, and they're much better at sort of like, you know, implementation and, and like being very prolific, you know, coding, but they're the kind of subject matter expert for that area of like, of the, of the product or something like that, then I end up kind of leaning on, on a part of that person that isn't good for either of us, right? Like they don't feel, they don't feel like they're being, um, you know, utilized and like leveraged and like interacted with in a way that's like drawing on their strengths. We're not getting like ultimately what we want, which is the best, you know, output out of that person, you know, you know, on things. Yeah. And so I, I've had to develop some mechanisms for myself to go like, oh, this is just me having stupid expectations <laughs> um, and and like repositioning and reprioritizing and like who gets pulled into what, you know, and that kind of thing.
0: Well, um, I mean, sometimes you got no choice. Sometimes the the, the person's the only one available, so you got yeah, sure. to do it. yeah, sure, yeah. Especially yeah.
1: like you know, a small team, yeah. like everybody hunkers down. But uh, but it, yeah. it is also
0: interesting that even on a team, you don't need everybody to have the same skills.
1: Yeah,
0: um, you need to have you need to have some people that are really good at finishing and wrapping up and uh, crossing all the t's and dotting all the i's, and some people that are really good at starting brand new things and getting them getting yeah. the ball rolling, like getting the first like that, first
1: so. prototypes, and yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's all about getting good information and then using that good information to get good results, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. anyway,
0: we're kind of going long, but yeah. th- thanks, Nathan, for showing up and talking, taking some time in your day. And yeah, this is great. Thanks
1: this. for having me. I appreciate awesome. it. Happy to talk about. I want to talk in a whole separate thing about those complicated systems you were referencing because that's right up our wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, so like, I'm very curious about all that.
0: Yeah, we need to schedule something else for uh, some system testing yeah. and system evaluation stuff.
1: Yeah. So, cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, Nathan, for your thoughts on tech hiring. Thank you, Sauce Labs, for sponsoring Sauce Labs. Test continuously, test smarter, develop with confidence. Learn more at SauceLabs.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testingcodecom support. Those links are in the show notes at testingcodecom 182. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.